I came to the area 26 years ago, and um, I used to hear about pastors that had been at their church that long, and uh, just it was just an amazing thing. And to be able to be friended by brothers in arms has been a great blessing uh, to me over these years. We thought the circumstances were really difficult in those days when we first came, but how in the last quarter of a century have they gotten more and more difficult for the gospel? More people now today, I mean, we, we've always had kind of the cultural Christianity that we've had to fight against here in the south of Atlanta, but now people are becoming more and more comfortable saying, I'm a nun, I'm a nothing, I'm, I'm not a believer in anything. And of course, uh, in the media, if somebody speaks truth from Scripture, they're almost laughed off the set now, and uh, the only people that get any credibility are the progressives that don't really believe the Bible or the gospel, and they are applauded and celebrated and admired. And so it is a hostile world that we're, we're in just here. And uh, of course, as uh, John Sherwood reminded us in the video, there are nations uh, and brothers and sisters that are the hostility is is multiplied and magnified. How do we keep going when there's such opposition to our message and to us individually? What keeps us opening our mouth for Christ when when everything around us, the world, the devil, and even our own flesh, are trying to shut our mouths? I think a big component uh, to, to what gives us that kind of grit that we're looking for is faith. It's faith. These glasses are progressive lenses. Uh, They're the ones that have kind of the reading glasses at the bottom and the distance at the top, which is really good if you're preaching, even though this is like a super small pulpit. I can still look down and, and see the Bible yeah, Justin was mentioning the pulpit. I'll greet some people sometimes and new visitors look at me and say, wow, you didn't look so huge, you know, and when we just met you, but but like you're giant. And I said, yeah, the pulpit is kind of like a movie prop to make me look normal, you know. <laughs> but then when I get down among everybody, it turns out I'm I'm oversized. So anyway. These glasses are progressive lenses, and they're, they're great for normal things, but I love to read, and when I read books, I, I don't want to just read out of the tiny little sliver at the bottom of my glasses, and so I had a special pair of glasses made that are intermediate, so I can see like here, and it's great for the computer and things like that, and so when I'm at the coffee shop or something and pull out a book, I'll pull those intermediate lenses on, and I'll just be reading away. And it's great. But then somebody across the coffee shop will greet me. And I'll look up and I have no idea who they are. Not just because I'm forgetful. You guys are all kind to wear name tags for me today. But um, <laughs> I, I can't see them. They're just a blur because these, the, the intermediate glasses don't work at all 
for distance. I, I literally have to change glasses in the coffee shop to be able to say, say hi properly to the person. Well, what we need to do, wouldn't it be great if today we can add to our prescription lenses eternity? And we don't just look at our friends and neighbors and the people who are hostile to the gospel just through our normal lenses or even our intermediate lenses, but we look at them through the lenses of eternity. And we look at the struggles that we're going through and the hostility against us and the gospel, but we don't just see the painful struggles of the the, the last 10 years of trying to get the gospel to them and 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 suffering uh, whatever comes against us for our efforts, we look a thousand years into the future. We look 10,000 years into the future. We don't just imagine, boy, this guy's giving me a hard time. I, I, you know, I wish he doesn't have a bad day, but this is just too hard. I'm just going to give up. We think instead about what this person's fate will be a million years from now if he doesn't come to Christ. When we look through the eyes of eternity, the lenses of eternity, everything seems very different. I want to take us to the passage today, just sort of our theme passage for the conference, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We want to look at verses 13 through 18. Now, in this passage, in 2 Corinthians, it's a very personal letter for Paul. He is really pouring his heart out to the Corinthians. He's ministered there in person for many uh, months and years, helping to establish the church. And then a group came in behind Paul Uh, false teachers. Later in the letter, they're actually called the super apostles. If you have an English standard version of the Bible, they, it it literally says these so-called super apostles. They were the big shots. They were trying to make life miserable for Paul in the church that Paul established. Paul was being persecuted and beaten down for the gospel. And they were mocking him and saying, if you were a real apostle, then things would be great and you would have power and authority. But instead, you're weak and pathetic. And it, it was just, it was just tough. So as the super apostles are criticizing Paul's weakness and suffering for ministry, comparing it to their powerful ministry of manifestations of earthly victory, Paul explains to the Corinthians that the message of a crucified Savior actually is supposed to come through suffering messengers. It's not an accident that we're suffering for the gospel. It's part of the plan. In fact, it's part of the way that the Lord is glorified as people through suffering and weakness preach the message of Jesus. It's part of the program. It's part of what we're called to. Our messy weaknesses actually show off the Lord's mighty 
power. Now, the verse right before our text is verse 12, and Paul kind of summarizes his situation. So death is at work in us, but life in you. I'm dying in Christ, but Christ's resurrection power is also at work because of it, bringing life to you, the Corinthians. So we want to interview Paul today and get some insight into how he had grit to make it through. Now, as Justin mentioned, I do love sports. And sometimes, though, you're watching the game and the sideline reporters ask the dumbest questions. You know, they get the coach that just lost and lost and, and, and they're like, how do you feel right now? It's like, oh, this is this is not good. But sometimes the, the reporter will ask a, a really helpful question or it gives us some insight. What tactical changes did you adjust at halftime? How did you get your guys to keep going when they were so far down and they came back and won the game? So that's kind of what we get to do with Paul today. And what we want to see here are four faith insights to keep going in ministry through difficult times. The first faith insight to keep going in ministry through tough times is to recognize that faith must speak. We might even call this just, we have faith in God's word. So look at verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Now, at first, this seems like a very strange verse. But what he's doing is he's summarizing what he's been saying and giving a key insight into what motivates him to keep going. He says, since we have the same spirit of faith, we've got an attitude. You can kind of get the idea of what a spirit of faith might be, an attitude of trust in God. Now, he's about to quote Psalm 116, who maybe it was written by David. We're not we're not positive of that, but the psalmist and Psalm 116 is a life or death struggle, a life or death level of affliction. So hold your finger there in Second Corinthians and look with me at Psalm 116. Even though the psalmist has got this life or death level of affliction, he's about to say, because of my faith in God, in spite of the affliction and the hostility against me, I must speak up. I must speak up. And what Paul's going to do back when we get to 2 Corinthians is to say, I get that. I get that completely. That is my same experience. But let's try to ramp up to it by getting the gist of Psalm 116. Now, in the first 11 verses, there's kind of a desperate illness or despondency. There's references to adversity all around the psalmist. I'm just going to hit a couple of highlights. Verse 3, the snares of death encompass me. The pangs of shale lay hold on me. I suffer distress and anguish. Look at verse 6. 
The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. You can see the it's it's piling up. This is a he's going through it. The psalmist is going through it. Verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So that's a, a wonderful verse that we like to concentrate on the sweetness of it. It's precious in God's sight when one of his kids die. But the other side of it is somebody's about to die. It's, it's, this is bad. This is difficult. So in spite of that, the second half of the psalm renders devotion to the Lord for his vindication. So we've got severe affliction, but then we've got devotion to the Lord for his vindication. Look at verse 9. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Not only do I think you're going to keep me alive, I'm going to keep my trust in you. I'm going to keep going in you. And pick it up at verse 12. For what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So verse 10 is kind of the strategic center of the psalm. And that's where he said, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. The part Paul grabs onto is he believed in God's word and he spoke in the midst of hostility and adversity. Paul says, I totally relate to this. I totally get that. So go back to 2 Corinthians and look at verses right before our text, verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of death, excuse me, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So my 2 Corinthians 4 afflictions are like the Psalm 119 afflictions. But my faith in 2 Corinthians 4 is also like the faith of Psalm 119 verse 10. It leads me to continue to speak up in the midst of a hostile world. I'll be true to my convictions, whatever the cost. God will vindicate me and the message so that I will speak up for Christ in spite of the afflictions. Paul was putting his Bible into action. He didn't just read it for information. It changed Paul's perspective. 
and it changed his attitudes and it changed his actions. And we're reminded to be doers of the word and not just hearers. So we thank God for the truth that we hear week by week from the word. And we hear the gospel of Christ as we see Christ in the scriptures. But may it never be that we just take that knowledge, put it in a notebook and put it on our shelves. We need to put it in our hearts and put it in our lives. And what's in our heart comes out our mouth. And even though there's antagonism and hostility, even among the Bible Belt South to the gospel of Christ, we must still speak up because we have the lenses of faith, the lenses of eternity, the trust that this is the word of God. And because we believe it, we speak it. A second faith insight that keeps us going in ministry in tough times is to remember the resurrection. Or we might say faith in the past and future resurrection. So we pick it up now in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you too. Will bring us with you into his presence. So he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So this was the content that Paul believed in verse 13. This was what strengthened Paul's faith. Jesus is not dead. God raised him. So, so great. Sometimes you look at the hostile world. I remember hearing uh, that fellow John Stone Street from the Colson Center on Christian Worldview, and he said, Jesus didn't go back into the grave, did he? You know, the situation may look dire, but Christ is alive. We still win. We're still on the winning team. Don't lose heart. Jesus is the first fruit of the Easter harvest. We are all going to rise again when Jesus returns. This, this affects us now. The resurrection of Christ affects us now and it affects our future. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Romans 8. A couple of verses in Romans 8 amplify this. Romans 8, verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is working in you and me. Verse 17 and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer in him, with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. Kent Hughes, the longtime pastor of College Church in Wheaton, told of a 300-year-old tombstone that said these words, Beneath these green trees rising to the skies, the planter of them, Isaac Greentree, lies. 
The time will come when these green trees shall fall and Isaac green tree rise above them all. So the sideline reporter comes up to Paul and says, hey, Paul, it's going pretty rough. You've been beaten up. You've been chewed up. You've been spit out. You've got hostility outside of the church. You've got hostility inside the church through these super apostles. Why do you keep going? Paul grabs the mic and says, the resurrection. God raised Jesus. God will raise me. God will raise the Corinthians too. I get to have a part in ushering these former pagan rascals into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ with glorified bodies. Paul had the lenses of eternity in his glasses. He wasn't just looking at the hostility and feeling the pain he was enduring. He was seeing the big picture by faith. Resurrection isn't the end. It's the doorway to immortality in the presence of God. Number three, the third insight that keeps us going in ministry in tough times is to think about the honor that God gets in saving sinners. You might say that this is faith in the fruit. So we don't just we don't just think about a person before us and how they're responding to the gospel that we preach. We need to think beyond that. By faith, we think in the bigger picture fruit, the glory that God gets when a sinner is saved. Look at verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul says, I'm going through a lot, but God is doing a lot, and God is receiving a lot of glory. So this verse at first seems kind of tricky, but I think that the flow actually makes a lot of sense. So look again at verse 15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As more and more people hear the message of the new covenant. So he was defending himself as a a minister of the new covenant, basically the gospel of Christ. Our sins are forgiven through the work of Christ on the cross. More and more people are going to understand and be saved. So more people hear the message, more people understand, more people are saved, more grace extending, more thanksgiving given and more and more glory to God. Unbelievers don't give thanks or give glory to God. And just stop and think about that for a minute. It's it's considered one of the big sins that unbelievers will be judged for, isn't it? I mean, back in Romans chapter 1, that's one of those just grocery list of, of the sins of, of paganism, you know, what about these Gentiles that have never heard the gospel? It says in verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So God says, just through creation and your conscience, everybody has a sense that God exists. But here's the deal. 
they are guilty before God of not giving thanks or honoring that God that they know. So if we drew a circle around our church building here this morning, maybe let's just even say two miles, a circle all the way around it. How many people are not giving glory to God this morning or thanking God this morning? I mean, God is so good. Even this morning in some of the conversations I've had, we've been reflecting with one another. uh, God's good, even though this has been a difficult season for churches going through COVID and navigating this and that and the other. There's so much to be thankful for. God is so good and so kind to us and is so worthy of our praise. We we sung songs this morning, didn't we? We want to give God glory, 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 but he's worthy of more than we can give him. And our great desire as we look beyond um, just this two mile radius, we look to the nations and we say, there are so many people in North Korea today not giving glory to God. I mean, you might think, well, if you think of the situation in North Korea, it's so bad, that might not be at the top of their list. According to Romans 1, it ought to be at the top of their list. Yes, they have no gospel access, but even what they do know through creation around them and their conscience, they have enough to honor God, and they're not. How You know, somebody was talking to me the other day, isn't it so great about the underground churches in China? Absolutely, it's great. Isn't it great how many believers there are in China that there haven't been before for all those years? Absolutely. It's it's incredible how wonderful that is. But do you know how many people live in China? I mean, yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful if there were literally like 100 million believers, which is kind of an extreme, extreme estimate, but maybe true. A hundred million believers. But how many people live in China? 1.3 billion people. Think of it like this. The population of the United States of America plus a billion. It's it's astounding. So a hundred million believers. Yeah, that's great. How about 1.2 billion pagans? that are on their way to hell, not giving thanks to God, not giving glory to God. Our longing is to see the glory of God spread in the neighborhoods, as John Piper said, and to the nations. And we have to have that vision of eternity and and what's at stake and the ultimate fruit. And this is a verse that helps us to, to be reminded of that truth, that when we share the gospel, when we pray, when we give to missions and help to see the gospel seeds proclaimed in places where there is no gospel access, more people will hear, more people will understand because as we also sung about and think about often that the Bible says, Around the throne, there's going to be people from every tribe and nation. So we know God's got a people everywhere. There's going to be North Koreans. There's going to be Pakistanis. 
around the throne. There's going to be people from Serbia and Croatia. There's going to be people. And so we're right to, to make efforts to see that good word spread even in the midst of the hostilities, and to encourage and motivate our workers to keep at it. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Because these are people that will hear it, will understand, and will give honor and thanksgiving to God. And it's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. One lady on the verge of salvation in the 1800s in England said to the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon, Oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if the Lord saves me, he shall never hear the end of it. <laughs> well, that's right. Praise God. And that's what we want. We want to fill this place with people who never give God any rest because they are so thankful and grateful to God for saving them. God's glory is our ultimate goal. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Paul looked past his trials. Trials have a way of filling your eyes, don't they? You just see the hostility. To me, it's like a penny. If you pick up a penny and you put it in front of your, your eyes, maybe you've got two pennies, it's all you can see. It, it's ominous. Your whole world looks copper. You know, all I can see is Abraham Lincoln. You know, it's just, it's everywhere. It's just right in my face. But if you put the penny back on the table, you get some perspective. Trials have a way of filling, filling your perspective. You know what that's like. You've been sick, you're in pain. It's like, oh, woe is me, all I can think about. You get a negative response as you make an effort to share the gospel. You, you take time away from, from other, other things to spend time with believers and, and your, your unbelieving friend kind of puts that little jab in you and, you know, it gets bigger and bigger and it's all you can see. But we've got to put the penny back on the table and put it in perspective. Paul looked past his trials and saw the benefits of continuing to minister in the face of those trials to the Corinthians. Ultimately, you're, more of you are going to be saved and God is going to receive more glory for eternity. I have eternity in my lenses by faith. Number four, the fourth insight to keep going in ministry in tough times, our faith insights, is faith for the future. Basically, you know that eternity changes everything. So this is verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we do not lose heart. We don't give up. We don't quit. This is a great privilege. God is working. And even though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is getting strong. It's being renewed. 
Our physical body is becoming weaker as we are experiencing these afflictions. But our hope is the renewed resurrection body to rejoin our spirit for eternity when Christ returns. But for now, our physical bodies are getting weak, but our spiritual bodies are getting strong. The old clay pot was starting to crack up, but that is not the whole story. There is glory inside that cracked up clay pot. The transformational work of Paul and us into the image of Christ is happening day by day. There's a spiritual renewal going on inside of each one of God's children. Isn't that encouraging? I heard a speaker not too long ago. He got really flubbed up. It's difficult sometimes. You speak in other places. You get kind of awkward. You don't know your people that you're talking to as well as as the people you're used to, and you can stumble a little bit. This fellow is Juan Sanchez. He's a pastor of High Point Baptist Church in Austin, Texas. Really good preacher. He got caught up, though, in this illustration. He was thinking of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And what he was wanting to say was that all of us are works in progress. All of us are works in progress. Uh, None of us are the finished product yet. God is still at work. He's at work in you. He's at work in me. And he talked about getting into an argument with his wife. And he said, you know, what really helped me as we were going back and forth is I thought, you know, she's just a work in progress. And and there he was up on stage saying that. I thought, I don't think that's so good to say about your wife. (laughs) Just the way it came out was so funny. But really, I, I actually still remember his point because it's a really good one. Because Juan was reminding himself, it's true. My wife is a work in progress and will be until the day Christ returns. But so am I. And that's a great perspective for us to have as we move through life together. But that's kind of what Paul's saying here. Our outer self is wasting away, but our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're works in progress, but we are becoming more and more like Christ. Look at verse 17. For this light momentary affliction. Wow. You remember how those trials can fill your eyes like the penny? It's all you can see and feel. How much more was it the case for Paul? He felt overwhelmed. He felt like he was going to die. But in comparison to eternity, his trials were light and momentary, just weightless little trifles, even though affliction is an intense pressure. It's like the old pan scales, you know, like on the Supreme Court building, Lady Blind Justice has got the thing and it's got the, the, the scales and two pans. And you put one thing on, on one side to see how much it weighs and then you add weights to the other side until it balances out and that's how you can know how much something weighs. Well, your trials, your afflictions for the gospel may seem really massive. They're weighing you down. But then you put eternity on the other scale and that thing just shoots up to the sky. 
It's, it's nothing. It's, it's light. It's momentary compared to eternity. Now, some people go through trials. I think it's, you can kind of handle anything for a little bit, but sometimes those trials last longer. They linger. Like even more than a day. No, a month, but two months. Pain that, that doesn't stop for five years in a row. What about 25 years in a row? Some people would say, my life isn't even worth living if I knew I was going to have pain for the next 25 years. That seems so heavy and so long until we put 1,000 years of glory in heaven on the other pan. And then even the 25 years of chronic pain are momentary. They're a blip. Because on the other pan is not just a thousand years, it's eternity. It is eternity. But look at the text even more closely. For this light momentary affliction is, what's the next word? Preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Your trials aren't permanent harm. They are preparation for glory. In Romans 8, Paul uses the birth pangs to illustrate the struggles of this fallen world compared to the glory to follow. Your mother went through a lot to bring you into the world, but you were worth it. <laughs> and in the same way, we go through things, but they are just slight, little, momentary, nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We get the word, I'm going to preach my way right out of this microphone. <laughs> we get the word hyperbole from, uh, that's, that's translated beyond all comparison. Hyperbole. It's, it's used in chapter 3, verse 10 for the surpassing glory of the new covenant. Here it's used two times. Hyperbole, ace, hyperbole. To, to show the absolute emphasis of this. This is weight beyond all comparison. You can't even compare it. In Hebrew, the word for glory is kabod. And that's a word that can mean weight, dignity, or glory. So when you think of God's majesty, you think of his weightiness and I think that's what God that's what Paul has in mind even though he's writing in Greek that image the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen MacArthur said endurance is based on one's ability to look beyond the physical to the spiritual beyond the present to the future beyond the visible to the invisible. And, and we're looking at this. It's like, it's like you've got your, your rifle and you've got your target and you line them up in your sights. It's not enough to know it theologically. You have to go beyond that fact to action. You have to gaze at the stuff of eternity. I've got eternity in my sights. Yes, I see myself falling apart, 
but I can't see myself being renewed spiritually. Yes, I can see the persecutors mocking me because I'm trying to share the gospel and live for Jesus. They're opposing my ministry, but I can't see what God's doing. We have to believe it because it's true according to God's word. My brother is a pastor in Alaska, Anchorage Grace Church. I looked. If I ever think we're having a bad weather day in Georgia, I just flip on my phone over to Anchorage and go, we're fine. It's already snowed. Yeah, it's already snowed. Their, their, their highs all week this week are in the 30s. Anyway, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough in Anchorage. But he's been there for 13 years and doing a great work. But he came for that G3 conference uh, a couple of weeks ago in Atlanta, and he stayed with us, and I had him preach at our church. And he said, yeah, I just wanted to say this publicly. When I was just a punk in uh, high school, I wasn't living for the Lord, even though we were both brought up in a Christian home and we both went to church. He was rebelling and I got saved. And when I got first saved, I was the obnoxious kind of get saved, you know, really put it in everybody's face. Uh, anyway, I just mentioned the book Graciousness that I wrote. That's kind of an autobiography of how I worked really hard with the Holy Spirit's help to become gracious because I used the truth like a hammer. And um, I, he, Jeff told, though, he says, you know, my brother took me aside and was showing me in 1 John all these things. This is what it means to be a Christian. Do you love God? Do you obey the commandments? Are you, are you living for God? And he said, he said, I was absolutely stone-faced and didn't show him anything at all to give him any satisfaction at all. But the Holy Spirit was wrecking me on the insides. And isn't that the case with our ministry? You don't see it. You don't see what God is doing. But if you could have the lenses of faith, the lenses of eternity and believe what God is doing, that would help you to persevere and to keep going. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It is happening. It is invisible to us now, but it is every bit as real as what your senses are seeing and hearing and picking up right now. C.S. Lewis I read, you know, his Narnia books, but I didn't really read his big boy books. Uh, <laughs> but he's really kind of an amazing character because he just was creative. And the way he put things is helpful to us because of their creativity. Theologically, he wasn't a trained theologian. He doesn't get everything exactly right. So we always read with discernment. I mean, I read even my own books with discernment. You've got to spit that out. No, it's just the Bible's our standard all the time. But because of his creative way of putting things, sometimes it helps us think about God's truth in fresh ways. One of the things that he said in this section of weight of glory, he put it like this. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, 
if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you meet now, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people, C.S. Lewis says. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, work, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Anyway, no ordinary people. These are, are people that are going to last for eternity. These are eternal souls that we are interacting with. And I, I mentioned the eternity prescription in the glasses. That's not a real thing, but faith is. And as Paul is going to say in the very next chapter, in, in chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. These things are real. Faith means believing what the Bible says, sometimes in spite of what it seems like. So if the Bible says these are people that will last for eternity, if the Bible says my word is true even though it's being mocked, and opposed by society and by the nations. If the Bible says these things, that your suffering is worth it, I'm working in it to work in you, the work in progress, and to get glory for myself in your hearers. We must believe these things. Faith is the way that we get grit to persevere through afflictions, for the sake of the gospel, trusting that God is at work through these means to bring people to himself, to get more and more thanksgiving and more and more glory to himself. The missionary C.T. Studd said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, and it will last forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together to reflect upon your word and how wonderful this word is. Father, though the world around us seems opposed to us and opposed to our message, we are thankful for this reminder that by faith we believe that you are working invisibly 
in spite of what it seems like to our senses. May it be that you would fill us with such faith that we would persevere and continue with grit and determination to hang in there spiritually and to keep ministering and to keep praying for that lost friend or relative that seems so hardened. May it be that we do not lose heart and just pack it up and say, us for no more. And may it be that we keep after it for the sake of your glory. God, may it be that the missionary workers that our churches support would have this kind of heart attitude as well. To not give up, but to hang in there and keep after it, knowing that their work's in progress, but also you are at work in and through their message. And we pray that you would bear the harvest and you would be honored and glorified. Please bless my brothers and sisters here at Baraka and thank you so much for them and thank you for giving us this opportunity to share these great things together. In Jesus' name, amen.